You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes Deadair Knife here with always Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1981 slasher classic, The Prowler. The Prowler. And it is a classic. You know, I, I, I tend to not ride you as hard as I should. Or as I'd like. As, as you would like. As everyone would like, with the referring to almost everything we do as a classic. But <laughs> that's what we do here on Dead Air. It's true. Now, this movie is a classic, although not as well known. I think that one of the reasons why I wanted to do this, because Lydia seems to feel compelled to make me have ideas about why I'm doing or why I'm picking certain horror films. I wanted to do this one because this movie is a showcase piece for Tom Savini. Now, Tom Savini, much like a lot of special effects guys... No, we talked about a few episodes back, a lot of episodes back, I think, actually. We were asked a question about Jack Pierce, and I babbled on a little bit about that guy. This generation of special effects guys, Tom Savini, Rick Baker, even creature effects guys like Stan Winston, these were became rock stars, and a lot of movies were made not specifically to showcase their talent, but if you wanted to do a slasher movie or a monster movie and you got one of these guys to fucking do it, that was a big boon because people were going to be talking about these special effects. And it's as much of a draw as a director name, name actor. Yeah, especially in the 1980s. But one of my favorite things about any celebrity, any any producer or director or actor or anything is when they're asked the question, what do you think is your best work across the board? For example, people like Christopher Lee, you know, when Christopher Lee died, a lot of people were bringing up Dracula. A lot of people were talking about that completely understandable because holy fuck, that's a, it's so many movies. He hated that franchise. I mean, he hated it. Mm-hmm. He, he, he hated doing it. And he wasn't a big fan of the hammer horror factory process but he often felt guilted into doing a lot of these movies because they're like chris if you don't do this movie you know you're the you have no career yeah and and the and the gaffer tape guys not gonna be able to feed his family you gotta do this movie so yeah yeah, but if you asked christopher lee what's your favorite hammer horror you ever did he would say scream of fear or Taste of Fear, uh, to um, the, actually the people in the UK, but in the, in the West it was called Scream of Fear. And it's a really cool movie, And but he doesn't star in it. He's only a minor, he's a supporting role. But again, going back to Tom Savini, when people pose him a question, what do you think is your best work? He says, The Prowler is his best work. And that's crazy to some people because when people talk about this dude, they're talking about Dawn of the Dead, they're talking about Friday the 13th, they're even talking about famous head exploding scene in maniac it's cool in a way because he's not afraid to step on people's toes there's a lot of people out there in the film industry that you ask them what's your best work and they just basically name everything they've ever worked on because they want to not make enemies and they Mm -hmm. don't want to downplay maybe something that didn't get as much attention or they want to you know pander to the audience because they're going to name audience favorites and stuff Mm -hmm. like that but 
some people like Tom Savini aren't afraid to step on toes and get mouthy and say whatever he wants to say. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like known for that. He is known for that. Um, he can be very irascible <laughs> and he can say some very controversial things, uh, especially in his old age. <laughs> but I, I, but you can't deny the fact that he was very, very, very good at what he does. I and mean, he still is. Oh my God. Yeah. So when the guy says, this is the movie that I like, because he's complained lots of times. I mean, and pick a Tom Savini commentary track on any horror Blu-ray or a documentary series where that guy has done work on a project and he will talk endlessly about how his work is cut, it's butchered, uh, the censors, not a fan of that kind of stuff. And so I think watching Prowler again, even though the 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 special effects in this movie are fucking amazing. I almost think that it's a matter of default because this, his work's not been cut out. It's, you can tell that it is the, the effects that he wanted to do and they're presented as he wanted to do them. There's no, we're going to run a knife along someone's neck and cut away. Now, again, we have the luxury of having the uncut, version yeah i was gonna say you were filling me in on some of the different versions out there that exist different versions that were made for uh, sensor boards and versions that exist that have absolutely no gore whatsoever yeah yeah there's international cuts of this movie that have a lot of this stuff cut out The the pitchfork of death the pitchfork of death yeah in germany which is a great title, but I would almost argue that if you don't really see him killing anybody with that pitchfork, is it really a pitchfork of death? It's all implied, I guess. It is, and luckily it's still like a compelling film without any of the gore. If you cut everything out, I could still see enjoying this film, and it would be like a creepy pitchfork at least. Mm -hmm. So pitchfork of implied death. Sure, sure. <laughs> this doesn't the, the title. It's a title is not as punchy as I think you'd want. So I guess the pitchfork of death goes really well, or prowler could be pitchforks in the moonlight. Pitchforks in the moonlight. Everybody's stabbing people. Is right. that one of the songs from this show? It sounds like the <laughs> band. It sounds like a song from this show. <laughs> the band, incidentally, is called Nowhere Fast. Okay, is that like where their careers were headed? <laughs> I, you'd think. I don't know. I, I, I have no energy to follow them up because it seems I just have to get because the music was grating, um, mm-hmm. the, the live music. The beginning, they have some big band Glenn Miller stuff, which I loved. If they would have just stayed with that through it all. And mm-hmm. like they're having a prom night in the 40s and they're having a prom night in the 80s and they haven't had one in between. Yeah. So I thought it would be kind of cool if they would have just rebirthed the whole big band movement cuz so they so like the return of swing music. Yeah, the like they had 90s. missed beat, you know? It was just the <laughs> next year's prom 30 years later it would be cool. Yeah, I could see the people nowadays <laughs> wanting to do that. Oh yeah. Doing the a- music was just basically rip-offs of Alice Cooper, Journey, Trooper, you know, if someone out there is interested in some Horrible throwback cock rock. Enjoy that. I didn't. But the movie starts out in the 1940s. And we know this for several reasons. A, the war is just over. So the newsreel. The only thing we're missing is a spinning newspaper headline. <laughs> Our boys are back from overseas. The war is over. It's fantastic. I love it as a framing device. Although, I would like it even more if the movie stuck in that era. Because I feel like that was a lot 
of work to keep me to get me into the mindset of 1945. Mm, if you're watching this in the 80s, you would have known a lot more veterans. You would have heard a lot more war stories. Your parents would have been you like, no, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Now I, from like where we're sitting, in what year is this? 2016. Okay. Um, <laughs> it seems very far removed. And like you said, they had a lot of work to convince you to get in that mindset. But really that shot of the boat coming in past the island, like that's really all that you would have needed to be like, oh, this is where this guy is coming from. Mm-hmm. And then you start having your own little post-traumatic stress flashbacks by osmosis because everyone around you would have been telling you these stories. So it would be very, very fresh, even in the 80s as a Mm -hmm. teen watching this so i get what you're saying but for the intended audience at the time Mm -hmm. i think it works just fine so we flash forward we do after a horrifying murder where two lovers park a car to smooch and then they're pitchforked very reminiscent of the texarkana moonlight massacre it's true you could you could almost take this scene and put it in that movie, and I don't think anyone would notice. Yeah, you know, the town that dreaded sun on as soon as the car pulls up into that little like moonlit bay, it's very, very similar to the same area. Um, although way prettier. This film, this is made so expertly mm-hmm. and so pretty, mm-hmm. almost like Disney-like in this scene when they're going up to like this little gazebo and a dock, and there's like swans just sort of waddling off screen and you like know, everything's framed so nicely i hadn't put that together yet but you're right that scene is very uh disney it is very very disney and even some later scenes with like prom stuff and like you know just the way that things are blocked shot framed mm. very very beautiful yeah it was uh joseph zito is responsible for doing the directing on this i don't find any of his other work as beautiful like this is like very beautiful use of pastel Uh, Mm -hmm. way better use of framing than i've ever seen Mm -hmm. in his other films and like yeah the color palette is super contrasted against any of the blood that you see in this you see quite a bit of blood really nice darker than kensington blood and it's not that see-through blood either it's nice and opaque like tom savini does a good job with with the blood that way Mm -hmm. but uh that dark stark blood contrasts really wonderfully with the pastels that are the number one color palette in this and very like pale low contrast lighting so to speak where the blood does have a really high contrast it's almost the darkest thing on the screen for most of this but it's like this macabre monet it's a really beautiful like a painting sort of photography used in this yeah you're absolutely right i think it could have been one of those situations where even though movies like blood rage or Friday the 13th, the final chapter, people don't think about those. Those are honestly the only two other movies of his that I've ever seen. And I agree that, yeah, you don't really sit back and and think, wow, this is so beautifully shot. But this movie you do, it might have been, I wish I knew how long they had to film this. It couldn't have been that long, but I do know that for the filming, their schedule was around Tom Savini's effects. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me that they might have had more time than you'd think. So maybe given that extra amount of time, 
he really said to himself, I'm really going to set this shot up. You know, it could have been something like that. Sometimes all a director needs is just a little bit more time. Although from what I understand, you can always just use a little bit more time. Yeah, that is definitely true. Now, we've been spending a lot of time with slashes lately, and we've been spending a lot of time in New York, but I'm happy to report this doesn't take place anywhere, anywhere near New York. No, it takes place in New Jersey. A stone's throw from New York. <laughs> so we're trying. We're, trying. We, we're getting farther away. Where does Drag Me to Hell take place? Drag Me to Hell? It feels like something that takes place in, like, Pennsylvania or something, but I don't know. But anyway, sort of to back up, um, in the beginning with the uh, Moonlight murder, yeah. with the pitchfork and the rubber boots, the knife and the rubber boots, which is a nice touch, mm -hmm. um, we're sort of set up that uh, someone overseas, someone who came back on the boat, had been dumped by his girlfriend, mm -hmm. Rosemary. Mm -hmm. And isn't this called Rosemary's Killer or... Revenge of Rosemary? Rosemary's, Ro uh, Rosemary's Killer, yes, is another alternate title for this movie. This has a lot of titles. Um, so that's sort of like, it's not really used as effectively in that setup scene with the prom night or graduation dance mm -hmm. from 1945. Because it's I, it was sort of lost on me why they had this letter mm -hmm. from Rosemary dumping her overseas boyfriend. Yeah, you got a Dear John letter. Yeah. Bye-bye, G.I. <laughs> and it was sort of lost on me until the actual story taking place in the 80s got rolling. Mm -hmm. And then I sort of forgot that I had been confused at the beginning. So is mm -hmm. that Rosemary that gets pitchforked? Yes. Okay. They have, um, when we're brought to the present, we're introduced to a new cast of characters. Uh, y y lovely young teens and a lovely young sheriff yeah lovely young deputy deputy that's right he's yeah. not a sheriff we basically have a situation where they're going to restart the prom now because of this murder that occurred back in 1945 they have not felt the need to have another prom i guess out of respect it was a very terrible tragedy and i i could easily see you know what we're not going to have the prom next year because a murder happened last year on the prom and then that just becomes tradition and this is a very small close-knit community and it's full of a lot of veterans and it's and it's full of a lot of traditional people like in dirty dancing or footloose it is but instead of outlying dance or dirty dance they're outlying proms well they're not outlying it they just felt maybe we shouldn't do it but you know what god damn it it's 1981 the future is now it's been 30 years it has been the interesting thing about the time frame of this film is because of the fact that it's only 1981. So the town is still full of veterans and it's not really, when I think of World War II vets, to me, it's always super old grandparents because that was my, the, like my grandparents were World War II veterans and all my friends' grandparents were World War II veterans. This, if you're looking at a dude in this town who's 40, yeah. 45, yeah. 50, 
Oh yeah, that guy or or uh, that lady definitely served in the war. And so you're kind of surrounded by veterans. And these are the generation of people who not really having this whole prom thing, although they don't make, uh, I mean, they don't make like a Lithgowian stink about. No, this. it's just sort of like gently reminded, like, you know. Folks in this town. Yeah. You know. And if so-and-so was still alive, they would definitely be against this. Mm-hmm. And... Especially since the fact that uh, Major Chatham is still around and that's rosemary's father Mm -hmm. and he's kind of just staring from his wheelchair not really liking the fact that this is going on at all and there's and there's some awkward stares from herrings who might be red and no one really gets really close enough to him for him to kick their ass no and if he could he would oh for sure yeah he'd probably say keister Ah, kick your keister. Yeah, there's quite a lot of nice 50s slang. We learned all that we need to know about 50s slang in the first 11 minutes of this film. But yeah, red herrings. I wish Goober was a red herring. There's a character, the hotel manager, motel, drive-in motel manager, Goober. Um, it's a great scene. But yeah, we've got Sling Blade. <laughs> <laughs> French fried taters. Yeah, Sling Blade, whose name eludes me entirely. Not Kingsley, because Kingsley's his boss. And Kingsley's yeah. like totally like a yesteryear Sid Haig. If I were going to recast this. It's fucking crazy that you said that. Because while I'm watching this movie, I almost, if I didn't know what that dude looked like when he was actually young. Yeah. I would just be like, is that? Is that Sid Haig? Is that Sid Haig? No, because Sid Haig has looked like a potato man since he was born, I'm sure. A very unique look to him. Um, this guy just looks like they could be related. For sure. Totally. And same sort of delivery. A really Sid Haig type character. Not to say he's typecast, but he's a little bit typecast. Yeah. If he was acting a little bigger. Yeah. Especially what's asked of Sid Haig these, these days. You know, old Sid Haig he was a much more, I'd say, mellow actor. But now it's kind of like, oh, we have Sid Haig in, in our movies. So... He needs to do that. We're going to write him this way. Yeah, we need. Yeah. he needs to do that thing. Sometimes I'm convinced he's not even really given a script. I just think that they just... <laughs> he didn't even know that they were filming him that day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With some of the way that he does the scenes. A wonderful actor. So the prom is coming, and we're introduced to our protagonists, Pam. Pam McDonald and... Sh- uh, I keep wanting to say Sheriff because of that dig she throws out at him later. Pam McDonald and Deputy Mark London. Oh. And I remembered his last name because London is the name of the Littlest Hobo Dog. And he was kind of like a sheriff. Was the Littlest Hobo In the show it was called London? Yeah. All of them were called London. There was a whole bunch of dogs, but they said oh, so they starring did... London. Oh, the actor dog. The actor dog. Okay, because I, I, for, I, I barely remember that show, but I don't remember them ever actually talking, giving the dog a name in any episode. Because he was always... No, yeah, the dog didn't have... Yeah, like, he was always gnawing on ropes and rescuing people from, like, drug dealers and shit. Yeah. And so, with, like, London started barking, he'd be like, London's calling. That <laughs> rocks my casbah. <laughs> Go straight to hell. <laughs> Pam has got an intrepid side to her. She, and beautiful hair. She's very beautiful hair. She's a very lovely lady. She's also very interested about the history of this town because she's written an article and there's one line where someone's like hey i read your article and she's like thanks and like you want to go make out at the point and it's like what the fuck i've written all kinds of articles i never get that sort of treatment 
<laughs> no one A reads them and no one B offers to make out. <laughs> I hear you're an article writer and want to make out at the point. That's a pretty good pickup line. I'll stash that away. Yeah. So, yeah, she is very interested and has written an article, which seems weird to me because she's really determined to have the prom happen. She's very interested in the prom happening, yet she wrote this, like, piece to make sure everyone remembers exactly why they don't have proms. I think that it's probably one of those things that is is like, okay, look, we're doing this thing. We're bringing the prom back, and she probably agrees with everyone on every level that they should bring the prom back but maybe to ease tensions of the older crowd she thought you know it'd be a good idea of a, a showpiece a historical piece on why we don't have the prom so people don't think that we're forgetting because perhaps it could be perceived as moving on and forgetting that tragedy so yeah pam and her buddy the deputy yeah they're friends yeah it's cool because he's not that much older than her. So they probably, maybe he was a senior and she was a junior. Yeah. And now look at him. He wears a uniform. Not unattractive. Not unattractive. You know who else wears a uniform? Who? Our Prowler. Because we get a suiting up scene that Batman would be fucking jealous of. Lacing his boots. Fucking getting his sawed off, which you forgot. Yeah, I totally forgot that he had a gun. And then. I was know, too interested in his knife. His knife is really fucking great. And the, my favorite part is where the, the camera is coming from underneath him. But he's just sort of getting himself together, putting up his uh, jacket. It's all it's all army surplus stuff that he's wearing. It's uh, He's wearing like World War II stuff, I guess. And he has this moment where he's kind of framing himself in the mirror. And you can't see his face. But it just, to me, comes across as a dude super proud of his outfit. Oh, yeah. Where he's just like, yeah, yeah. Who looks good? <laughs> I look good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Not unlike Maniac Cop. The beginning of Maniac Cop when he's suiting up. I like that, too. I like I like how we, like, Matt Cordell was getting himself already, putting on his white gloves and his shiny fucking buttons on his jacket and now we got it but on a military perspective although this guy's not a big zombie cop we're not sure really anything about this guy this is a throwback to the classic whodunit slashers that were very prevalent and as much as i love slashers where it's a big character and everybody knows who it is and they're hushing his tail around a campfire i also love where they don't know who the fuck this guy even is no and like it is so reminiscent of the town that dreaded sundown that even if there hadn't been a reveal because i'd never seen this before whatsoever Mm -hmm. i was Um, actually excited about that i was i didn't do any research as soon as i was like oh yeah this isn't intruder or whatever the sam raimi film that i don't like Mm -hmm. when i was like oh yeah i have them mixed up this isn't that movie i'm happy now because i've never seen this (laughs) then i was like you know what embargo i'm not gonna learn anything about it Mm -hmm. and just dry dog this one (laughs) that was like me with condemned except you actually gave me the homework yeah but, but you the, didn't know until today that I hadn't seen this. So no, I, I didn't. I was, kept uh, it so secret. Yeah, on the way here, I checked out your Twitter feed, and you're like, I've never seen this movie. I was like, really? Because I just assumed that if it's horror, you've seen it. Because that's all I do. I say that pound for pound, minute for minute, disc for disc, you probably consume more horror in a week than I do. Oh, yes. Definitely. By a wide margin. Because you're like, 
watching cartoons or something. I don't know. I'm watching, yeah. Reading comic books. Reading comic books, watching cartoons, sleeping, sleeping. a lot. Yeah, I or sleep maybe to. five hours max a night. That's why I <laughs> squeeze it all into my busy schedule. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I envy people who, not that I couldn't do this, but for some reason I've gotten so out of the habit of it. There's like a recent thing going on on Instagram where horror fans are tagging the last four horror films that they've watched. And it's always just, here's four movies from my collection that I've just been watching. And I thought to myself, oh, what were the last four horror movies that I watched? And if this was just a couple of weeks ago, it would have to be the last four movies we did for the show because I hadn't been watching anything. I've gotten better, though, because I recently got an Amazon purchase of a whole bunch of fucking movies, and I've been watching those. Well, you know, I can't can't take back my loud what, (laughs) questioning (laughs) your your love of horror, but... Life gets in the way, whatever. Yeah, you know. that's true. Yeah, I'll have dry spells sometimes, but I have been blogging because I want to return to the habit of writing every day. So mm-hmm. I've been blogging what I've been watching at nightface.ca. So. Mm-hmm. If you guys want to read all about that, nightface.ca is the place to do it. And it's almost like you're watching Lydia through her bedroom window. God damn it, Wes. <laughs> Until I get distracted and give up on that, too. But the only reason why I brought it up was, I I guess my point was, was the fact that, like we've said many times in the show, there's so much horror out there that even people who are consuming it on the reg can still find stuff that they've never seen. Oh, completely. And this is a real gem, and I'm glad that I've been able to watch it now because I fucking love this movie. Yeah, it's fucking cool. Yeah. And like you had said while we're watching it, you don't know why it's not bigger, and neither do I, because... It's head and shoulders above a lot of the one-off slashers. Mm-hmm. It's head and shoulders above a lot of things that spawn sequels. Mm-hmm. And I can see why this didn't have a sequel, but... Yeah, yeah it, it's kind of hard to do a sequel, and we'll get to that. But holy fuck, when Tom Savini is talking about the fact that he feels that this is his best work, the kill effects are in full effect right at the start of the movie, and each one is fucking amazing. Mm, pitchfork through the levers. And it's the extra details. It's the putting the foot on the back of the pitchfork and just really digging down because you're pushing that sucker through two people. Yeah. That's not an easy thing to do. And this is not someone who has superpowers. No, not at all. He's just a guy. He's totally just a guy. I don't know if that pitchfork's really long enough to reach through two people effectively to kill both of them. Shh, shh. Don't don't think about that. I have to. I can't (laughs) not. I spent a lot of time with pitchforks. That's true. I spent less time with pitchforks because I didn't spend too much time around hay. Good. It's sneezy, horrible stuff. But anyway, (laughs) um, it's not super gory right off the top. And I like that, that it opens up with sort of like a light kill. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like a little hors d'oeuvre. And then you move on to a much more gory kill. Oh, yeah. And then more gory and creepy, scary. He really does prowl. And there was a few times where I was like, he's not really prowling the way I think of a prowler prowling. But... Yeah, when people say prowler, I'm specifically thinking about, like, a cat burglar yeah, or something Yeah, me too. Like that. Me too. I wish it was still called, like, Pitchfork of Death. I would have rathered that. But anyway. <laughs> then we'd be harping about the fact that not every kill is with a pitchfork. True. Because he uses, like, bayonet thing. Yeah, yeah, I like his I like his knife a lot. Um, 
He sort of uses it like one for one. It's like kill with a knife, kill the pitchfork, kill the mm. knife, kill the pitchfork, kill with the. Oh, you almost got me. I was gonna kill you with a pitchfork, but instead I'm gonna kill you with a knife. <laughs> yeah, I like this guy. Um, also going to the prom this night is more of our cast of characters, uh, Sherry and her boyfriend Carl. And Sherry goes to have a shower. Oh, I guess yeah. she's Pam's roommate or something. Well, they Pam and a lot of the ladies are at a dorm. Which is weird because I'm wondering, do, do college kids, sorry, do high school kids, are they college kids or are they high school kids? They're having a prom. So. Well, it's not, it's not called a prom. It's a graduation celebration. Okay. So it's not like prom, but it's not convocation. So I don't know. So we're not sure. They might be in high school or they might be in college. It could be private college. school. It could be something like yeah. that. It's a dormitory. So a lot of the girls live together on the same floor and i think that yeah i think that they are sharing a room okay that makes sense mm-hmm. um while they're getting ready to go to prom because it's been established that the sheriff is going to be out of town the deputy pam's boyfriend has been sort of charged with keeping an eye on everybody mm-hmm. everyone's a little spooked because there was a robbery earlier in the day and the guys That's are right. large yeah and then apparently there had been a murder a guy had been cut to ribbons but we haven't seen that but the car had been stolen but the sheriff is hellbent on going fishing. And it's really funny to me because fishing is not one of those things that I really am all about. I've gone fishing because, you know, fishing is not something that is difficult to, to come by in Canada. But I also wouldn't be telling people, I'm going on a fishing vacation, Lydia. And if you fucking... Oof, don't I'm even kick your ass. Don't even think about calling me on my fishing vacation. There's people like that about hunting too. Like I, I don't know. Yeah, I've gone fishing. I've never gone hunting, but I've gone fishing, and but I've never been like that adamant about it whatsoever at all. Yeah. But he reminds me. He's channeling sort of like Red Foreman from that '70s show. <laughs> he is. <laughs> Yeah, he's going to kick someone's ass if he gets interrupted. Although he does tell the deputy to call him if yeah. he needs him. He is kind of joking around, but he's very serious about his fishing, and he's been looking forward to this trip, I guess, for a while. And he says, look, there might be a couple of rowdy teens or 20-somethings if they're in college, I don't know, but everything else should be fine. And if you need anything, give me a call. And this is a big opportunity for the deputy to sort of step up and be the guy in charge, at least for now. He's going to be on patrol, basically. Um, although Pam does want him to stop by the dance. And like he's going to refuse. Who would? He's like, maybe you could stop by the dance later. He's like, oh, I can come for a while. I'm going to come and arrest your drunk friends. I mean, <laughs> come see you. Yeah. Um, so, of course, everyone's like getting ready. And the band's been practicing. I guess they've been playing the same song 45 times. I don't know if the dance has officially started because... Pam's wearing one dress, and then she goes back home to change into another dress. When she left the house, Sherry was having a shower. She was. Yeah. And kind of cute, like, introductory shower scene. Yeah. A little bit of nudity, an appreciable amount of nudity. Mm-hmm. And when Pam leaves, then Carl shows up. Yeah. And they get, they get cozy in the mm-hmm. shower because they're boyfriend and girlfriend, and that's what people do. They do. And in comes one of my favorite kills of any slasher movie ever. If anyone was ever curious, you get asked this a lot. What's your favorite moment in all these dumb movies that you like? Well, I don't know if this is my absolute favorite, but it's certainly one of my favorites. And in, and 
one of the best too, just technically speaking, because it seems so simple, but much like everything in this movie, there's so many extra details around it that just make it great to me. So the Prowler comes up behind this dude who's just happy as could be because he's getting naked and he's going to go take a shower with a lady. Yeah, right before prom, too. Like, I guess that's sort of reverse prom. It's Bizarro Day. It is Bizarro Day. Where they all have sex before prom. Yeah, I know. It's like, let's have sex and then we'll go to prom and, you know, cool our jets a little bit. It's kind of of the better way to approach it. Yeah, it makes more sense because you have sex and then you get dolled up. You don't have to worry about, like, oh, what's the point of getting all dressed up and looking nice if I'm just going to get all messy again? But anyway, um, then again, I suppose, like, for that mentality, why wouldn't anyone make their bed? I'm getting lost. The point is, is that he gets a fucking knife through his head that's like half a meter long. And while he's struggling, and this knife is through the top of his head coming out the fucking bottom, his eyes roll over white, and he's really fucking struggling. And it's just such a great scene. I know it sounds a little morbid, but fuck it, I don't care. It's great. No, it is a great scene, and I don't think that sounds morbid at all. It's a really... (laughs) You're a bad judge of that, though. (laughs) True. There is a lot of blood. It looks very realistic, and it has that right amount of, like, um, thrust to get a, a knife through a skull. It's got the right amount of, like, restriction to keep someone moving from moving away, the right amount of struggle. Like, everything looks really, really accurate. Mm-hmm. I don't know so much about the eyes rolling up quite that white, but whatever. I know, but it just adds an extra creep factor to me. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not, really a, do- works. I'm not a doctor. So I don't know what is medically accurate or not. All I know is that it looks fucking great. And then in comes another fucking fantastic scene with a pitchfork this time, not the knife. Yeah, because he's going pitchfork, knife, pitchfork, knife. Yeah, he is. And boom, he runs Sherry through with the pitchfork. And like so many things, like so many fucking kill shots in this movie, it lingers on it. Lots of screaming, lots of blood, lots of naked boob. Lots of really good motion, like where each puncture is through her stomach. Oh, yeah. You can see the way that the skin is going in is just done so expertly and so realistically. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a really beautiful kill. If this was a Friday the 13th movie from this era, if this was... A lot of other slashers that we've even tackled on this show. You would have gotten the implication of that penetration, but it would have cut away from it. Yeah. And, and it, or shown her from behind, which yeah. I think it even does. And it does in a few scenes. Like you get all the tricks that they use in a typical slasher, but you also get those really nice close-ups and lingering shots. Mm-hmm. Nice, beautifully framed kill shots. Like when I say every shot is like a painting... I'm not excluding the kills. Mm-hmm. Oh, especially where the Prowler is cleaning off his knife after his big kill. I mean, that red on that knife and the red on his uniform, because it's not one of those situations where he has killed somebody and he's not covered in blood. I mean, if you have a giant knife and you stab someone in the head, you're going to get blood on you. Yeah. And he does get blood on him. Yeah, it's a really, really nice dual kill. Like he's already had the two lovers killed at the same time, but this is two lovers killed at the same time in the same room almost. But they don't, like, the second one doesn't know that the first one's dead. I like that. And it's a really close sandwich mm-hmm. of, of kills right there. I'm getting hungry now. It's a really nice shower scene entirely. Not only the preliminary shower scene where mm-hmm. she's just showering, but it's a very nice kill in the shower as well. And we keep going back to that shower through the rest of the movie. Yeah, because it's neat. Because Pam comes back 
not too long after, and the shower's still running, and she just gently closes the door. We get to see as the audience from inside the bathroom that there's blood absolutely fucking everywhere. Mm -hmm. But she's none the wiser. Not only is her friend now in the shower dead, but her boyfriend's been strung up by his tie around the shower head. So they're both in there at this point, just getting waterlogged. She knew that Carl was there. I guess she saw some of his clothing or whatever. But she closed the shower door. I guess that explains why it wasn't weird to her that her friend had been in the shower for an hour or two. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that would be... I would be like, you're wasting water. What are you doing? <laughs> Very alarming. Mm-hmm. And you would be out of hot water at that point, too. So you're just having like an icy cold shower. Yeah, that's not sexy. No. Oh, well. I guess that wasn't what was on Pam's mind. No, because she was going to meet her deputy, buddy. It's weird to me that she would go to the prom in a dress and then go and then change into a different dress. But, I mean, sometimes it takes me days to change my shirt, so. Yeah, I pretty much dress for the one thing each day. You know what I mean? Whatever (laughs) that is. Yeah. Yeah, so if I end up going to teach a class in a goth outfit, then that's what's happening. Because I just dress for the most important thing for the day. (laughs) So, So she had a costume change. Whatever. Her shoes didn't match that dress whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like the tortoiseshell barrettes with the shoes either Ooh. to begin with. Yeah. But that's just me being weird. Well, yeah. The fashionista that I know you are. Oh, yeah. That's that's me. I dress like a fucking stagehand. <laughs> Our Gestapo <laughs> stagehand. That's, that's my look. When Pam's in the dormitory, this is going to start off a chase scene that's going to last, in a way... Through the rest of the movie. This is where the prowler starts prowling proper. It's true. And she notices that there's this strange guy in the hallway. Now, she doesn't know... She Unlike unlike a lot of other slasher movies of this ilk, she has not discovered any bodies. So she doesn't really know anyone's dead. But what she does know is that there is a strange man in the dorm with military gear on and a mask now the mask is just more of the camouflage that you would wear in the bush just to keep your head hidden and he's wearing an army helmet he does not look friendly and so she understandably wigs out starts to run can't seem to find an unlocked door apparently they all lock from the outside because she can't fucking open anything she makes a really valiant effort to try and open doors she can't get through Mm -hmm. though but she doesn't know her way around the dorm, and so she gives the guy the slip. She runs across Major Chatham, who's outside the building. Lurking in the bushes? Lurking in the bushes, rather suspicious. He is in a wheelchair, and he grabs her by the wrist, and she can't break his vice-like old man strength. I don't know. When someone's determined, I was, uh, I, want, I don't want to say accosted. I was um, groped once, quite violently. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Not that time, another oh, time. Oh, 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 gotcha. Um, when I was a day camp counselor, which we've established that I actually was. Really? Yeah. Um, th- we shared some of the um, camping facilities with facilities for the developmentally delayed because they like to go camping too and mm-hmm. canoeing and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so one of them was in the kitchen and he thought I was pretty. He said as much several okay. times. I think that's all that he could say. Okay. And he grabbed my arm and pulled me down to his level. Okay. And it was like super amazing strength. It was unbelievable and almost unbreakable. I had to eat, like pry each one of his fingers off me. And he, by then he had his other hand in my hair. 
And it was, it would have been scary if it was someone else, but I totally understand where it was coming from because I'm really that pretty. You are a fucking delight, man. <laughs> That's good. No, I'm not. But I could understand where he was coming from. Like, you know, was, I, I was I interested him. And I'd gotten too close, really. And it was like a vice-like grip. It really, truly was. And it, like I said, it would have been terrifying to anyone else. Mm-hmm. But I guess this is what Major Chapman does. He's a, he's a pretty much, he's nonverbal, right? Like, there's not a line spoken by him, is there? Nope. He just lurks in bushes and watch people fuck and, like, gropes chicks stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what he does. Well, the ladies tease him because they're, they're like, look at my breasts. Yeah. I think that's kind of rude. Yeah, it's super rude. <laughs> but they did it anyway. They're snotty teens. Luckily for Pam, though, as she wrenches herself free from the Major's vice-like grip, she runs down the path in a panic because she's just seen this crazy masked man in the dorm. There's stories of this, like, robber on the loose and stuff. And it is the 30th anniversary of a heinous murder. So she is obviously terrified. She runs face first into her boyfriend. She does. Deputy London. Mm -hmm. He's pretty confused, although she lets him know the situation, that she's being chased. She doesn't know where her friends are. And that the major grabbed her, and he's got to go check it out. So he puts her in the car. She doesn't seem to really want to go. She wants to go with him because she's been spooked really terribly. And I guess why would you want to sit alone in a fucking car? As opposed to going with your sheriff, sorry, going with the deputy who has a gun. So the deputy checks the place out, does not see shit. No, he can't even find Major Chapman who's wheeled himself away somewhere. No one can find him, but there are wheelchair marks and boot marks in the dirt. That's all he's ascertained with Mm. his very thorough crime scene investigation. So she says, did you go in the dorm? And he says, nope. (laughs) Yeah. Because he's no help at all. Yeah. (laughs) At that moment, anyway. Um, but yeah, I've seen just enough horror movies to know that she's not really safe in that car. But we'll let everyone know, rest assured, she makes it out alive. The killer doesn't burst through the fucking window of the truck. You know, she doesn't have to roll herself under it and hide. Mm. You know, none of these things happen. She doesn't drive into a tree. <laughs> which, <laughs> you know, that's what happens when you get in a truck in a horror movie. i think that you just get possessed by the awesome power of horror films past and you just suddenly fumble for keys it doesn't start right away you drive into a tree (laughs) yeah or you lose your glasses like slick none of that happens luckily i've also seen just enough horror movies to be totally tricked into thinking that she did find the bodies in the shower at this point. I'm still thinking, like, hasn't she found the bodies in the shower? I just, like, almost for the whole movie, I was like, hasn't she found the fucking bodies in the shower? She must have seen the bo- I must have missed her seeing the bodies in the shower. Mm-hmm. But no. Then they go back into the dorm to do a more thorough search. And they still pass by. Mm-hmm. She even says, we have to go in there because Sherry and Carl are inside. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, she's concerned for them, and she doesn't think they're already dead. No. But after not being able to really find anything, they're going to instead spend their time going to, well, they're going to go to the prom. Like you do. Yeah, I guess to warn everybody, Mm -hmm. or to dance. 
I, I wasn't really clear on why they were going back. I think the, the deputy's idea behind it was just, look, there was a guy, nothing's really happening, we can't find him, let's go to the prom, and I can keep an eye on everybody, because that's where everybody is. Yeah. If something's going to go down, and this person's dangerous, it's probably going to be where there's a lot of people. Because everyone's sort of congregating at the school right now. I guess. It seems like a very thinly veiled plot point, but everything's moving along so well at this point that... You may as well just keep it going. They're going back to the prom. They have done a little bit of search of um, the Chatham House, which I suppose is attached to the dorm, or like it's across a, it's across the way. it's across the way. So across the courtyard or something. Um, so there has been some a little bit of like plot motion as far as the Rosemary angle of the story because I see some pictures of her when she was younger in Major Chatham's place, mm-hmm. which just reminds you again why this prom has been delayed for thirty years. Mm-hmm. When they get to the prom, they definitely do let everyone know because they stop the music and make an announcement that there is a prowler on the loose. Yep. Hence his name will be splashed across headlines for all eternity as the prowler. The prowler. The prowler. He is on the loose. And so they have to keep everyone inside. So they break up the music. They break up the party. And one of the teachers says, look, guys, sorry. But you're going to have to not wander outside for now. Maybe you should just go and have sex on a filthy mattress and let Major Chatham watch you. Because he's on the loose, too. He is on the loose. <laughs> they don't know that part. I guess it's prom night. That's what people do, right? Like, Or graduation celebration. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Forbidden dance. Yes. Yeah. So some people have actually left. Because that's what teenagers do. Mm-hmm. When they're told to all stick together. It's like a school assembly. Yeah. That's when I'd go to the coffee shop. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's what teenagers do, right? So there's still people, like, away. And this is where we get to see the people that are actually getting hammered and trashed, like normal teenagers do. Mm-hmm. Doesn't Deputy London take one of the kids into custody? Well, yeah. One of the kids is in the gymnasium, and he is not having it anymore. He wants to get the fuck out of there, and so he wants to leave, and the teachers won't let him, and he gets belligerent. It's not clear that he's drunk, although he was one of the people that said that they were going to spike the punch. Wasn't he throwing up in the toilet a few scenes previous? Uh... I think he was in the bathroom. I think it was a different dude that was throwing up oh, in the okay. toilet. Amazing. It leads me to believe that all the guys are drunk. Yeah. Well, they've definitely gotten into the punch. There's There's been vodka spiked into it or rum or something. Yeah. And, well, I, one of the teachers who's, um, he might be the principal, uh, he seems super upset about this. The, the deputy is there, tries to settle down the situation. The, the, the teacher's just like, ah, I want him arrested. Get him out of here. And so that's what he does. He takes this kid to jail cell at the precinct. Pam goes with him because I guess why would you not want to be with your fella? Well, she's wearing his jacket and everything. So I guess she has to. Like she, you know, what's he going to What's he gonna do? Take his jacket off of her? It's no, cold. She has to come, right? She's cold. Yeah. All the while this is going on. Another one of Pam's friends is having a dip. She was already left the... She was never at the the prom or the graduation ceremony, whatever the fuck it is. The party. The she, she wasn't at the dance the whole time, especially when the announcement of the Prowler happened. She was already bathing by herself. She's just in her underwear. 
it's funny to me that she's just doing this by herself. Like, so it's not like, oh, let's all get naked and go swimming. Won't that be fun? She's not doing it with a guy or a lady or anything like that. She's just, I want to go swimming. And she does. And the pro- <laughs> I can't imagine anything more fucking horrifying than you're just swimming around in your underwear, having a good time, going through that water, and you're just like, I feel alive. <laughs> and then when you are about to get out of the pool, you just get boot fucked in the mouth by somebody you didn't even fucking see coming. And she gets kicked right in the mush. Yeah. And then she's flailing around in the water like I guess you would if you were kicked <laughs> in the mouth by a dude wearing combat boots. Super painful. Oh, yeah. She has no idea what the fuck's going on. And then as she's trying to get out of the pool... Well, the prowler is fucking in there. She didn't even know that. He fucking bursts out of the water and cuts her throat. And a fucking amazing throat slash. Because I don't keep meaning to harp on this, but if this was another fucking... If this was a Friday the 13th movie, it would have been a very slow cut across the throat. It would have looked all right. And they would have cut away from it. This fucking cut is so fucking good. It cuts across her throat they have they cut away for a second and then you're like oh well that's the end of that and then they cut back to it and it's just like folds of like he he's sawing into her head almost to the point where you think that it's going to completely decapitate her there's a lot of like neck motion too so you get to see the wound gape and there is a lot of blood it's very believable again oh very and then and then and there's a light at the pool underneath the water I guess to illuminate the the pool from the inside. And when she sinks down and she's just sort of like floating in the water dead, they're still pumping blood out of the wound and it's going into the water and you're seeing those pumps. It's almost as pretty as shark versus zombie for a second. Like it is that pretty. It is that pretty and just fucking amazing. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Look, it's very, very, very realistic. And the camera... And the camera lingers on these wonderful long shots with this death. Mm-hmm. And this is where I start to like really wonder, I wish I had a little more backstory on this killer because he reminds me a lot of a very real brigade called the da- called the Black Devil's Brigade. Okay. They were super elite precursors to the Navy SEALs. And yep. he's acting very Navy SEALs right here. You've got to mm-hmm. admit with the coming out of the water and just oh, the yeah. weaponry. Well, he's, a fi- he's like a fucking ninja. Like yeah. they, nobody sees him coming. Yeah. So he's very much like um, special forces, right? Yeah. And this brigade that existed in World War II was handpicked from Canadian and U.S. forces. And I forget how many guys, something like 2,000 guys. There wasn't a lot of them. They were meant to be universal soldiers. They were meant to go in on a, a recon assassination missions mm-hmm. to basically sneak into Nazi camps and just cut throats. That's your your first wave would be these throat-cutting fucking special ops ninjas. And they were all just trained to, like, they would take people like, hey, do you like skiing? And like, yeah, I see you're a really good skier. What do you, how do you feel about parachuting and, and swimming and cutting throats? You know, you into that? <laughs> just, just, <laughs> do you have any family? No? Awesome. You know, yeah. we're trucking you off to this, like, secret camp mm-hmm. for training. And they were all, like, specially trained. Mm-hmm. So do you think that this guy might have been part of that? Yeah, like he's, he's very much, especially with the throat cutting and just the way that he went about it. And the glee, because he does have a certain amount of of glee with mm-hmm. what he's doing. Even though he can't see his face, I can see it in his body language that he's enjoying what he's doing. But, you know, not you know, it's continuity through omission, right? Like, you, they don't say he's not that, 
So yeah. in my mind, if it I fits. Know, yeah, it totally is. fits. Because your average boots on the ground weren't these trained specialized killers. Yeah. And I think it's more of a, a SWAT thing, mm-hmm. more of a special forces thing to have all this this weaponry mm-hmm. on your on your body and to have just gear for all weather he's geared for all seasons he's geared for any fucking thing that could possibly come mm-hmm. up or go on and he's super fucking determined to kill mm-hmm. he just re- reminds me entirely of black devil's brigade yeah that's cool yeah super super rare super fucking deep cut world war Two trivia there yeah well speaking of deep cuts there's another kill coming really rapid it seems to be a a movie of like twos they like to knock off two people in a very short amount of time and then move on to the next set because one of the uh the 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 supervisors of the dance one of the teachers the same one that made the announcement that there's a prowler out for some reason is outside herself well i guess she did a head count and was like not everyone's accounted for not everyone's listening to me Mm -hmm. i don't know why she's and this pool can't be very far no so she goes looking and then you see the water the blood in the water like it's fucking jaws or something and then so she's trying to figure out what the fuck's going on and boom like a ninja this guy just freaking comes out of the bushes and just death move just like right into her throat she's done another really another thing that reminded me by this point i was convinced that he's a black devil yeah. But I would have to like rewatch this film and look for things on his uniform that might tip me off that mm-hmm. way. But yeah, it's worth worth researching. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, yeah, it was a really quick sandwich of a kill right there. Mm-hmm. But now Pam and uh, the good deputy, her man, they need to figure out what the fuck's going on and where the major. We don't know where he is. Well, we know where he is as the audience. He's watching two kids get it on. Like people do. Yeah. But they know that there's more to the story. They need to get back to the Chatham house and investigate further. Mm-hmm. So when they get to the Chatham house and they're looking around, this the the uh, Pam starts to find lots of photos, photos of well, a young Rosemary and a dried rose in a book. Mm-hmm. We've been privy to things that I'm sure not many of the cast has but as the audience we get to see the killer even in the 40s place a red rose in the hand or upon the face or on the body of his female victims mm-hmm. and it's rather pretty i think those are some of the prettiest little shots when i used to do some wedding photography mm-hmm. those i wasn't that interested in doing the actual wedding photography is taking pictures of like the flowers and stuff <laughs> yeah that was a short-lived career but <laughs> It is like one of those things that they did know about the original case. Mm -hmm. And to find one pressed in a book amongst Chatham's belongings makes Pam wonder what else there is to find. Mm -hmm. And they knew that people called her Rose at this point. They start finding more heirlooms and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So the Rose is definitely indicative of the death of Rosemary. Well, at this point, they had gone off to... They had gone off to the cemetery, and this is where they actually discover their first body. The first body that they actually discover is of um, her, one of her friends, the friend that got her throat slashed, in the now empty grave of Rosemary. 
that's you been dug up. You had sent me into some trivia with this one, that this is an actual grave. And I was like, duh. And then you were like, no, no, it was actually a grave that was dug and waiting. So somebody's actually buried in that grave now. Yeah. Well, they were the next day. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. It was really cool. It's, a, it's an interesting idea, the fact that... But, I mean, that's a great tool of filmmaking, right? You're like, oh, shit, what do we do? We need we need a scene where we're in a grave. Man, let's go to a graveyard and see if anyone's getting buried within the next 24 hours. And sure enough, they were. And sure enough, they were. So we are. they had that to benefit to go to. And it is really interesting to think that there was all this stuff going on. Like scenes with actors and a fake graveyard and a body put in there. And then someone was actually buried there later. Yeah, reverse gardening. In a manner of speaking. Yeah, you plant a person and nothing else. <laughs> but yeah, um, the cemetery gravestone has been defaced. So yeah. it just says, in memory of. And mm -hmm. there's, the name is like defaced. And mm -hmm. the dates are there. Uh, something like 1912 to 1945 or something like that. I, not, like even younger than that. I think it's 1930 or 1925 or something like that. 1925 so. to 1945. Yeah, yeah, Something yeah. like that. Um, but the name is defaced. But we have a pretty good idea about yeah. whose grave this is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It takes Pam a few minutes of looking at the gravestone and she sees at the top there is a mortise piece of a rose. Yeah. So she knows exactly whose grave this is. Where Rosemary's body is at this time, we do not know. But it is her friend from the pool yeah. whose body is in this coffin that takes Deputy London an awful long time to open. Well, you had said that the coffin lids were pretty heavy. I contend that I could probably bench press a coffin lid like no problem. No, I think coffin lids are pretty heavy. And I know that we're so used to horror movies where you walk up to a coffin, or like vampires do anyway, and you just like sort of <laughs> flip the fucking thing off its hinges. Mm -hmm. I know I do. That's how I open a coffin. Yeah. But I, I yeah, he struggles with it. Takes him yeah. a while. But it's good suspense. Yeah. I just don't underestimate how muscly I am and how like easily I could lift up a coffin lid. Okay, so we're going to go and do some fun things. Like, we're going to see what it takes to stab somebody right in the middle of the top of the head with a knife. There's that, yeah. Or, no, that wasn't it. No, no we're, we're going to... Wait, gonna, okay, yeah, we're not We got some that. experiments coming up then. We got some experiments coming up then. We're going to see if we can pitchfork two people with one pitchfork. Oh, yeah, and if it's long enough. We have and, to kill them. And, long, and they're long enough, yeah. Yeah. And we're also going to experiment with you bench pressing a coffin lid. Yeah, yeah. This sounds like a fun day. <laughs> I like activities. What can I say? So now they're panicking because they know there's got to be yet more answers at the Chatham House. Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't so know why they just didn't camp out at the Chatham House. Yeah. That's what brings them there in the first place. This brings us to a really weird kill. A kill. That's inaccurate. It brings us to a really weird situation where you say to yourself, yeah, all right. I guess for the sake of the narrative, the killer is behaving in a completely different way in this instance than he has every other instance before that and that is the fact that he comes across the deputy who's searching out the place while pam is looking for things and kind of gets him in like a sleeper hold and chokes him out and and so the deputy loses consciousness now if this was not a character that needs to live any longer this, if this was any other regular guy on any he, other regular day, he'd have a knife in his skull. Oh, he, he would be dead, and that deputy wouldn't have fucking known. Actually, I think it's pitchfork time. Yeah, it should be, because yeah. we're doing one for one. Although he did two knife kills in a row, so we need two pitchfork 
kills to uh, balance it out. Okay, you're right. And so he gets completely unconscious. Oh, we should point out, by the way, that before all this happens, because when the sher- the sheriff did say that if there was anything wrong, well, give him a call. And they tried, and they they met the least helpful dude on the planet. Goober. I got to call him Goober. I don't know if he has a name. I don't care if he has a name. Yeah. He reminds me of the way a way, way, way less interesting or friendly version of Goober from... <sighs> House of a Thousand Corpses. I yeah. wanted to put a fucking name tag on that says Goober and have him not correct you that his name is G. Ober. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want him to. I want him to be like, my name is actually Goober because that's what I fucking am. I hate this guy. He's awful because the deputy is saying to him, you need to get this. You need to get the sheriff. He's on his fishing trip. He's like, now everyone's asleep now and so what this guy does is he can't be bothered to stop his busy schedule of sitting there eating and drinking and playing solitaire while i guess tending over this fishing resort he's cultivating his gigantic ass (laughs) (laughs) yes he's a yes fucking hangs over the chair and so he he does some foley work over the phone. <laughs> Which is kind of awesome. Well, I, I hate him, but it's kind of awesome. But he, so he like makes the indication that he's getting up and opening doors and stuff like that. And he's just sitting there eating like chewing tobacco or something. And looking at the phone kind of like, fuck you guys. Yeah. And then, you know, we got, and then of course, uh, can't get him. Don't. Fucking goon. Fucking uh, goon. It's like, oh yeah, I don't think there's lives at stake here. Although, I mean, the fact that this movie came out in 1991, it's so fucking dated. Because nowadays you would just call the guy directly, or honestly, they would have gone there. They would have gone there, or the goober could have rang as a room. Something. But something. No, no. No. You're so, going to trust this this beached whale to <laughs> roll himself down the path and knock on someone's door? No. Um, but it also, like... As soon as he gets off the phone, as angry as I am at Goober and his existence, I was like, great, because now we've established that they think help is on the way, mm-hmm. and it's fucking not. Yeah. And and it's a good device because it's this guy. This guy is not helping them. Yeah. Because it's a you... perfect plot device. Although the deputy is a little smarter, thank God. And unlike most horror movies, he gets on the phone right away and calls the state police. Yeah. So, okay. but So help might eventually be on the way. But yeah, but who knows how, when that's coming. The sheriff, they think, is on the way, but he's he's not. And yeah. we know that. Yeah. Or, or we do. Let's just say we know that. Yeah, we know that. But the deputy gets choked out and he gets goes unconscious. And you see our prowler friend over top of him with the pitchfork. But he doesn't have an opportunity to use it because now he's got to go get Pam. In one of these scenes that and we talked about it as we were watching it, but it's really confusing to me. And listeners, if you if you've ever seen these these scenes, like I'm really, really interested to know what other people think of them, because it's really strange to me. The idea that a killer is stalking it's uh, their victim in a house and the victim decides to hide in a particular room. When there's lots of room to, to there's choose from. There's tons of rooms to choose from, and there is no indication that she went in this door and not this door. What is it that makes a killer specifically go into this room? Because in this scene, uh, a lot of uh, the Major's home, he's got white sheets over it, like you do in movies. And uh, you can tell, he doesn't, 
he probably doesn't use the upstairs at all. He's he's confined to a wheelchair, so mm-hmm. this whole upstairs area is probably well it's all dust covered and abandoned, basically. Basically, no yeah. Been out there forever. And and so she hides in this room. He somehow gets the sense the killer gets the sense that she's in this room, and so he really thoroughly is going through it, and I mean he's almost like looking for people in hay bales like just stabbing them and shit like that i was waiting for him to stab through the bed that she was hiding under oh yeah i'd have to say it's either psychic powers because all maniacal killers are psychic yeah or the smell of fear because yeah yeah, they can they have super heightened senses because all the while he has no real indication that he's in there or that she's in there she could be anywhere else in the house or getting the fuck away so i would love i would love the i would love the horror movie where a killer is so convinced uh, that his victim is in one room that he's spending all of his time like knocking shit over, like calling out, like it's like trying to scare. Her. So and, that everybody and, leaves actually, and, 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 and they're gone, gone, and then they're, come back later. They're, they're gone, and and she, and you know she's like driving away, and like here come the state police, and he's still in there, just like flipping shit over. And they really go through, like she really goes through this gauntlet, like this fucking Marquis de Sade fucking. And what about this? And what about this? Because first he's he's like, I'm in the room. Is that scary enough? No. What if I start turning over furniture? Is that scary enough? Uh, what if I start smashing glass? Is that scary enough? And. Then- and then while she's under hiding is like, and now here's a rat. <laughs> like it's this really weird fucking extra point that I love. But and then I think finally it's too much. And then she gets up. And she gets Well, the fuck he's out getting closer and closer, and yeah, it, it, the rat wasn't even <laughs> the straw that broke the camel's back or whatever. No. Um, what I don't like about that scene is that no rat in his right mind would hang out in a room with that much fucking human nonsense going on because he is flipping over furniture, stabbing his fucking pitchfork through things, flipping blankets off of stuff, smashing all the glass. And the rat's just like, hey. It's me. It's me. It's... I, what are you doing? Oh, human, I'll sniff you, and I'm going <laughs> to just sit here for a second. Like, it's not a very good film rat and no rat would hang out in a room no wild rat especially hang out in a room where humans fucking freaking out like that and making all that kind of noise they'd be terrified they're rodents their eyes are on the sides of their heads for a fucking reason it would be out of there (laughs) so i don't like that scene i like the idea of that scene and i like your point about why does he know she's even in there um, and the fact that and she's, she's this is ramping up. The terror is ramping up. <laughs> but that rat ruins it for me because I'm just like, nope, that rat would absolutely not still be. This is it. not believable. Sorry, I'm just it's true. Like I know I I've, I like rats. I've had pet rats. I know how they mm-hmm. behave. You know, loud person they scurry. Mm-hmm. Um, Unless they're a punk rock rat and you take them to shows. That's a. That's a yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose. So we're 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 getting down to the final confrontation between these two characters. The sleepy deputy is nowhere to be found, which is convenient. And you can almost pass that off as being like the killer has his choice between his two victims, mm-hmm. but he wants to get the girl. Yeah, but don't worry because coming to the rescue, coming around the bend, is one of our old chums. Sling blade. 
Sling Blade, French Rod Taters. He I don't sh- know if that's his actual name in the film. I need to watch Sling Blade again because I don't know. No, like, the, I know no wait, hang on a sec. The character no, the character's name is not Sling Blade, but I want it to be. He shoots the killer uh, while they're fighting. Now, while he's uh, while the Prowler has been stalking Pam. He's taken some damage himself. She locked herself between a door, but he got a fucking pitchfork. Part of his own pitchfork is, like, sticking out of his back. So he's pretty hurt at this point, and he's fighting, and she's doing a really good job of fighting him off. She's a really good uh, heroine. It's good. She's clever. She's a good hider, and she's scrappy, right? So, you know, you, you get the... It's not a lot of crying and screaming, you know what I'm saying? Like, she's proactive. Oh, yeah, because they were going knifey-spoony there because she had snapped off the tip of his, like, the end of, the business end of his pitchfork and was coming at him with it, and mm-hmm. he pulled out his knife, of course, mm-hmm. like a good Boy Scout. And luckily, mm-hmm. Sling Blade, for lack of a better name, I forget his him. name. And it shoots him with a gun. And then the awkward moment? The Almost as if, Lydia, Lydia, have you ever... I don't know. Have you ever just walked into a room, locked eyes with a guy, and then you started hearing, like, endless love play over in your head in a loop? Absolutely not. Yeah, me either. But I think that's what happened between these two characters. Because he just sort of, you're all right, girly. And then she's just sort of looking at him like... Where have you been all my life? Maybe, like, she's seen him for the first time. Yeah. And then I just, honestly, in my head, I'm just like... I don't know what song that is, but yeah, that's exactly it's super fucking awkward and it has real no place because what she should be doing is scrambling up and being like, Oh my god, thank you, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah, I know. No, what's ha- because I guess she just assumes this dude is fucking toast. Well he's not, and he gets up and what you didn't believe what you didn't know is this dude has three levels of weapons. Well, I mean, we know because we saw him suit up, but they don't know. Pitchfork, that's fucking main main weapon, put all the stats into it. He has a knife in his boot. He's got a knife in his boot. Secondary stats. It's pretty good. He can crit with it. He probably has another knife somewhere. Probably. Um, but then, oh and shit. a bag full of 25 plates of steel and all the forks in the house. <laughs> but he's got a sawed-off shotgun. And man, is he good with it. Because he fucking blows the sling blade away. Too sweet. That dude is just fucking toast. Then he's going to shoot Pam. Again, Pam, very reactionary in a good way. Fucking starts struggling with him. It's a really good struggle. And oh shit, we find out. Big reveal who this killer actually is. Well, it's the sheriff. Well, of course it is. Because he never went on a fucking fishing trip. Luckily for the storyline, Goober is a fat waste of fucking flesh and just sat there not helping us at all and not tipping us off that there's no one there by that name and there was no one in cabin number seven and that the sheriff didn't go on a fishing trip whatsoever. So, you know what? For all of his fucking beach well glory, Goober was an amazing plot device. One of the most effective plot devices I've ever seen. Like, red herrings. Saying, like, having the major... Be creepy and watching people. No, sorry. I've seen enough horror movies. That's not my killer. Having a gardener in a van kind of looking a little disheveled and and staring at the people and not really liking the prompt. Mm, sorry. No, that's not working either. Yeah. But a sheriff who 
seems completely normal, doesn't seem to have a problem with this at all, just a little cautionary, is going away on a fishing trip, which, and then in a, in a scene that, that could have been cracked wide open if a character was more proactive. But since this character was presented to us so completely as a lazy waste of space that's not going to check anyways, it completely fools you. Completely, no, completely fools, fools, you. fools you. Especially when you hate him. Yeah. Um, and yeah. we do get to hear the killer's voice at one point because he does encounter Pam mm-hmm. with a rose in his hand and yeah. says, I'm here for our date, Rose. Yeah. And I don't know if it's like he's intentionally disguising his voice or if he's just so like lost in this like bloodlust of revenge mm-hmm. that his his voice is, is slow and labored but we don't recognize him mm-hmm. as the sheriff whatsoever no and 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 really you could the, the sheriff is the right age to be a guy who went over and fought in the war and had been jilted on his return yeah for sure but but there was and, and but i would almost wager that if they never restarted this prom thing, these memories, probably combined with a lot of post-traumatic stress, wouldn't have wouldn't have triggered this in him. It might have been a crime of passion that happened 30-odd years ago, and that's it, right? Yeah. But this, the resurgence of this has brought back all of these memories, and he just feels compelled to maybe kill people that remind him of Rose. And compelled to arrange their bodies. He's a body arranger. I do love this guy. He is a body arranger. He took roses. We we missed the one point when they're searching for things uh, in Chapman's. They do find Rose's corpse stuffed up the chimney, mm-hmm. which is like the weirdest thing. I didn't like, I didn't really get why he put it out there, but because he seems to arrange bodies just here and there, not everybody, but most bodies. Somewhere where someone can find them or somewhere where it's out of the way. Sort of like, you know, you drag the body so that no one's clued into that there was a killer here or they're not on your trail, right? So he's doing that sort of stuff. But so he went to the graveyard, I guess, to make things simple because it's all happening pretty quickly. He takes the girl's body out of the pool, drags her to the graveyard, Mm -hmm. digs up Rose. I would assume that he dug up Rose and at the same time as he brought the body there. Oh, first... for pre-prom sex. Uh, maybe. Okay. Um, <laughs> so then he takes Rose's body out, puts in Swimmer Girl, opens her eyes. Because <laughs> 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 he's funny like that. And sort of hastily covers her. Goes back to Chapman's. Gives Rose a peck on the cheekbone and then shoves her up the chimney. I guess it's possible. The idea—I mean, I, not to be that guy—the the difficulty in transferring a body that has been in the ground for thirty years, keeping it all together. Yeah, I'm normally that guy. Yeah, that yeah. seems difficult to me. That seems—I mean, look—I'm—I'm I'm not trying to be. Oh, this skeleton in the chimney wouldn't have stayed together. But let's be real—that skeleton in the chimney would have been in a hundred pieces. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Makes no sense. And it, she's still, like, it's cute that she's wearing a shawl and all that stuff. But, yeah, she is still together. And he got her there in one piece. And yeah. then shoved her up a chimney. And she fell out and wasn't just a clattering pile of bones. Yeah. But it just, like, it's neat and all. And it's a neat little device. And you get a skeleton popped out moment, which everybody loves. Yeah, I like it. I like yeah, it. I like, I like it a the lot. scene. I, I'm, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to bitch. It's just, it just struck me as really odd. Because you're right. Yeah. When you think about 
do they have time to do this? Do you have time to do this? The one thing where I'm like, do you really have time to do this? Like digging up a six foot grave, pulling a, a completely decomposed person yeah. out of that coffin, putting another body in that, and then somehow getting... I, I mean, look, if you gathered up the body in, a, in like a fucking hefty bag, <laughs> that would be one thing. But I don't know. Anyway... It's not really relevant, but I tell you what it is relevant. This fucking scene coming up, because this they are struggling with a loaded double barrel, a shotgun. And that could only go one of two ways. Yeah, Pam's pretty feisty and tough and determined to live. She's established that. Yeah, she's established that. So she fucking brings it to his face. He pulls it away. But, oh, man, she fucking gets it right under his chin. And then he pulls it away, and then it ends up right under his chin again. It's yeah, nice tension. And, it's and, a really good scene. And, and and then you know because you're like, oh wait a second. Unless her deputy boyfriend's gonna wake the fuck up, or there's another gardener around the corner with a gun, she's gonna fucking shoot this fucker in the head. And you know it's gonna be good because this movie doesn't fuck around with its gore effects. This movie is just like you want to see some fucking gore. You want to see some gross shit. Look at this. Look at that. Look at this. So, oh, man, a head exploding scene that like fucking scanners would be proud of. Yeah, totally. Totally. Better, better than better than Savini's work in Maniac, the famous shotgun to the head head scene. This is a much better effect. Oh, yeah. I can see why this would be his favorite as far as his resume, because he does kick his own ass. Oh, yeah, for real. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. I'm sure that people, you know, now you could be like, oh, you want to see this movie? Who does the effects? Tom Savini. Oh, yeah, I totally want to see this because there is a draw in for one. Like, I don't know how, what the ratio is to non-horror fans or horror fans in the world. But let's say one in 500 people. If you yeah. say, yeah, Tom Savini did the effects. That's as interesting as a lead character, actor, or a lead director yeah, or producer. Director, yeah. So... Now, it's like one in 500, one in 1,000 people. I don't know. But back then, it would be like one in a million people would know who Tom Savini is or give yeah. a fucking shit. Like the, the the really plugged in horror kids. Super fucking plugged with, in. With their fucking like fango under one arm and their famous monsters of Filmland in the other. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Super like, plugged in. Like super duper plugged in. Or yeah. people that are industry connected. Other like yeah. other than that, nobody would be interested. So it's almost like a trick, I think, in a way, from my point of view, that people went to see this movie and maybe had heard it had really gory effects. I don't mm-hmm. know. But that particular effect could scar people. Oh, my God. And it's fantastic. And what a way to, to, to end it in terms of gore effects. Which is funny to think that that scene in particular was cut from some some versions but whatever like you'd said that the entire reveal scene is cut yeah the reveal scene because it was it's it's a graphic reveal scene i guess and yeah he so, has a pitchfork through him yeah. and there's a shotgun yeah. and all that. like it's pretty bloody and like intense. like you don't see what happens to the killer i guess you just assume that the the killer is killed uh i haven't seen that version officially this is just going off of my memory yeah but um i'm glad we have this one and i'm glad we got to see that scene in all of his glory because the another one of the reasons why i think it's superior to the shotgun scene in maniac a the 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 
the rig is just better. It's just a better rig. Oh my god, they had time. It wasn't a running gun fucking Yeah. Oh my god. But that's the other thing. No this, pun intended. This <laughs> this is a this is a properly lit room. You know what I'm saying? Like probably it, like, multiple cameras to not miss a fucking thing because yeah. it's a one shot deal. Yeah. Again, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> it is impeccable. Yeah. It's, the amount of blood is just beautiful and perfect. She ends up with blood on her and in her hair, which I think is just Oh, yeah. So cute. Oh, yeah. So we cut to the fact that, and this is like the really interesting shot of the movie, almost reminiscent of uh, of going back to like Sissy Spacek's house at the end of Carrie, where it's like a weird like dream sequence almost, mm-hmm. because Pam goes, finally goes back to the shower which is still on in the dormitory. And as soon as she's coming up on that shower, I even have a human emotion. Yeah. And I'm like, I would feel so bad because she's been in there twice realizing that the shower is going. And once she walks in there, all she needs to do is realize that the shower is still going. And, you know, honestly, that film could have cut right there and you would be left with such a downer feeling. Mm-hmm. Not that you still don't get it. Mm-hmm. feeling kind of but if it cut just with her with that look of realization on her face that oh my god my friend must be dead both of them must be dead in the shower because it's still running this is horrifying mm-hmm. and i forgot all about them yeah. i am a shitty human yeah the, just cutting there would have been really kind of awesome but no we get to go in and see the dead people we get to go in and see the dead people she very slowly now we we know that they're in there we've seen how their bodies have been arranged in there she's not seen that and i mean understandably she's been very distracted through this entire narrative oh, of yeah, running but, from a killer and yeah, and all that kind alive. of shit but this was a very rare instance where you were seeing the impact of death not not oh my god my friends are going grab someone's hand and we keep running you know these slasher movies have a tendency to show uh, very concretely that life moves forward in yeah. one direction so uh, there's not a lot of looking back when characters Where's are Johnny? killed Johnny's dead go yeah. just leave him we leave him <laughs> yeah. we can't or you know one of my favorite lines in Friday the 13th uh, or one of the boyfriends is getting murdered. He's like, ah, oh, oh, he's killing me. Oh, he's killing me, run. Killing me, run. Like, <laughs> oh, he's killing me. <laughs> so so you don't, you don't really go back a lot. This is really saying, okay, our story is done. Let's go back and see these bodies revealed. And, and so when it opens, they get a little Night of the Creeps to me because she has a vision that Carl awakens with his milky white eyes and grabs at her and she's screeching and trying to pull away from him but when she collects herself no he's he's not they're very very dead yeah he's he's not coming back to life or anything but i mean it's just the i get the horror of seeing the death a lot of times people discover a dead body not a lot of the time but usually when it's somebody that they know um hallucinations are not uncommon to mm-hmm. think that they've moved it's it's sad mm-hmm. that your brain just wants them to be alive that badly so i suppose that could be what was happening there or maybe he did have a little tiny spark of life left who knows but yeah, yeah okay. it is it is not uncommon to think a dead body has moved. It is really nice and gory though. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's still a lot of blood. Very picturesque. Like I said, every shot in this is like an oil painting and this is no exception. It's a very beautiful, though very, very, very sad scene. And it does a lot better, like you said, of reminding us of the permanence of death and 
that the horror movie is not just all about splashy kills. Uh, does a lot better than a funeral scene, though. I hate it when a horror movie ends with a funeral scene just because it's boring. But this yeah. is not boring and extremely beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and rare. Mm-hmm. This this particular slasher movie has a lot of the tropes of slashers, but it also does things so differently. And I think that this moment with the bodies is very unique because I can't think of a single fucking other slasher movie where a character is murdered and the bodies are discovered when the story's over. I can't think of a single fucking movie. No, neither can I. I, That's why I like this one so much and love this ending so, so much. It seems like another, I don't know, it's like got this, this Disney feel to it for some fucking reason and it's got this very deeply um, almost giallo European sensibility. Very much so. But without all of those tropes. Yeah. 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 I think that when people are looking for slasher movies and I know that sometimes when I've recommended some to people the first comment I get back is ah like the story was so dumb. I'm like yeah well that happens and then other complaints I get back is gee like like they keep cutting away from all the kills like it's just they don't show much it's like that's not as gory as i thought it would be this movie in my opinion has a solid storyline and it's gonna have all the fucking gore that people are looking for for slashers i think this is the film that you want all of those really bad slashers that don't make the cut to be yeah you go into them with the best hopes and you think that it's going to be even half this awesome and it never ever is Mm -hmm. If every one of those was even half of what The Prowler delivers as mm-hmm. far as an 80s slasher film, yeah, we'd be much happier as horror fans. I think so, yeah. Having slogged through that dirt. I mean, dug through those graves for those <laughs> crumbling bones. <laughs> what do we got next for him? Next, we have Candyman. Oh, shit. Episode 50. I've already done the fun thing of saying Candyman over and over to unnerve you, so we're not going <laughs> to do it again. Can you believe that we've done that we're going to be doing 50 episodes? Yes, I can because it is a fact. And I've been here for every single one of them. I know. The nice thing about doing 50 episodes is I know exactly how many times I've been to your house. Minus 2. Oh yeah, that's true. We know exactly how many movies we've watched together. Up oh, except plus 1 because we watched that uh Oh, Crossbearer. Yeah. <laughs> the one we we debated doing that for the show and then I've decided I want to wait until there's some more Adam Albrant in the world before we tackle an Adam Albrant movie, even though that one is signed and all that stuff. And it was like fun watch. And we had lots to say. We did have a lot to say about it. And so much so that I referenced that movie a lot to you when we're talking about horror. And I can never remember the title of it. You have to tell me the title of that movie. Every every, time. Every single fucking time. I do. You know, maybe for our hundredth episode, we'll do fucking Crossbearer. Oh, God. We'll do Bone Setter, Crossbearer. Well, no, we can't. No, it'd have to be Bone Setter, Bone Setter and Soul Tangler. We'll have to be our, like, back-to-back doubleheaders of utter fucking shit. Because um, I wouldn't want to put Crossbearer in that. <laughs> do a commentary track for Soul Tangler? <laughs> oh, can we? I would do it. You want to do it? Yeah, sure. Oh, wow. That is, like, my birthday, 50th episode, 100th episode, 666th episode, all wrapped into one. <laughs> Bloodstained cellophane tied in a bow. Anything to make you smile. And anything after Candyman is like a mystery. Drag Me to Hell will be somewhere in there, I'm sure. Pieces, yeah. pieces and Drag Me to Hell. Oh, yeah. And that's it. Because I want to go and eat dinner. And my roommate's going to be back soon with 
Is family and their wiener kids? On that note, I'm Les Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.